Turn your Bibles to Galatians 4 or your mobile devices, whatever it is you like to do to read the Scriptures. As the children are leaving, I want to use them uh, to sort of introduce what we're going to be talking about this morning. If, uh, if you've ever been to an airport or a mall and you've seen escalators, probably at some point you've seen children having fun playing with the escalators. Perhaps you've seen them try to walk up the down escalator, or you've seen them uh, do just the opposite, try to walk down the up escalator. Or maybe you've seen at airports uh, children uh, playing on those moving sidewalks, and they are trying to walk or run their little legs going as fast as they can, the opposite way of the moving sidewalk. They, they, they're using a lot of energy, but they're not getting anywhere. And to them, it's fun. They might even be going backwards rather than making progress. Well, Paul is concerned because the Galatians are doing that in the Christian life, and it's not amusing. The Galatians think that they're going to make progress by listening to some false teaching that has come into their churches after Paul had started and planted the church. The false teaching had to do with how do you really participate in the work of Christ? They, they actually believed Jesus was Messiah, these teachers. But you could only participate in the benefits of Messiah by following the Jewish law. In other words, you had to obey well enough in order for those benefits to really apply to your life. Or a, a different kind of the teaching was someone who really did believe they were a Christian by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone. But you needed to get your sense of the smile of God by obeying the commands. In other words, Jesus saved you, but if you really want to sense God's favor and blessing on your life, if you really want to lay your head down at night and feel that God is smiling upon you and not frowning upon you, well, that was dependent upon your own behavior, your own performance. In both of these situations, there's trouble. If, if you fall into the first uh, element of the false teaching I talked about, that's legalism. That's trying to actually gain or merit heaven through your own works. That will lead you all the way down the down escalator into a real place called hell. You'll lose your soul if you think the way to heaven is through your own efforts. But the second kind of false teaching is just as devastating to the Christian. Your, your soul is saved from hell, but the Christian life becomes a living hell because you're never sure if God's smiling upon you or not. The Galatians thought they were making progress, but Paul says you're, you're on the wrong direction of a moving sidewalk. As a matter of fact, Paul is even more graphic. Paul says, you've been born again, but you're wanting to crawl back into the womb. It's as if you've never been born at all in Christ. And so Paul lays out the liberty in Christ 
that we are to grow into. Not liberty to just go ahead and sin and live however we want to, but liberty in the gospel by the power of the gospel by which we become all that God wants us to be in Christ. In other words, Jesus really is the moving sidewalk. He's got power we don't have. We do walk, but we walk under His power. And Paul presents the enjoyment of the power of the liberty of the gospel in the passage before us. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Galatians 4, verses 1 through 20. This is God's Word. I mean that the heir, okay, he's just gotten finished in in chapter 3 that we covered last week. He just got finished uh, prioritizing the promise of grace over the place of the law, and now he's further explaining it. This is what I mean. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, the false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us, and He wants us to grow into maturity in the power of the liberty of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we ask You to open our eyes 
you would unblock our ears, you would soften our hearts, you would move our wills, that we might not stay little children, but might grow into maturity in Christ. We ask this in His name for His glory. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So in verse 19, Paul says he's in the pains of childbirth again. Not only are the Galatians in error in thinking that they're making progress by listening to the false teachers, by going back under performance, but they're actually going backwards. As Paul says, it's almost as if you were trying to crawl back into the womb, as if you had never been born again. And Paul's aim in verse 19 is that Christ would be fully formed in us, that we would grow to be mature adults in Christ, in the gospel. And that happens as we live out our liberty in Christ. So three elements of mature Christian liberty we're called to enjoy through the power of the gospel. First of all, enjoy the liberty of your full inheritance. In verses 1 through 4, Paul is explaining the difference between the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. Now, the only real difference is the Old Testament church used shadows and types to see Jesus who was to come. The New Testament church, us, we've heard of the reality, the incarnation, the work of Christ. And so we have advantages in every way over the Old Testament church as far as they were promised the inheritance, but they didn't experience it fully. We've not only been promised the inheritance, but we actually are experiencing the fullness of the inheritance. And Paul says that's a perfect illustration of how the false teachers are wanting to take people back under performance. He says it's like a young boy who's the firstborn of a rich, a very rich father. But sadly, that father dies. He leaves the entire estate to his firstborn son. But his firstborn son is too young. He may be five, six. He doesn't know even what it means to have an inheritance. He isn't ready for the responsibility of an inheritance. He can't direct and manage the inheritance. And so the father, in his will, set a date where the minor becomes an adult. When the child comes of age, it might have been 18, it might have been 21, it might have been 25. It's whatever age the father has written down in the agreement. See, what we're clearly talking about here is, is an inheritance in custodialship. And Paul writes that the Old Testament church, they were given the promise, but they were underage. They were minors. They needed guardians and stewards. They needed a disciplinarian to show them what was right, to show them what was wrong, and to keep them in line. Paul says that's the purpose of the law. 
the purpose of the law is to be a strict disciplinarian to keep a young child in line. And if it gets out of line, the law is a whip to the flesh that reveals ultimately we desperately need Christ. But that is all the Old Testament church understood. They didn't realize, most of them, that it was to point them to their need for Christ. Then, Paul says, the underaged master needs stewards and managers who know how to lead an estate. And then they train the child who grows into an adult to one day take over the estate. Then Paul says, at just the right time, in other words, the time the father who was the rich man had ordained for the age of the child to come about where he was no longer a minor but was given full benefit and control of the inheritance, Paul says that was the incarnation. That's when Jesus came. And we're told in the passage that Jesus was born of a woman. In other words, he was fully human. So he lived under the law, Paul says. He was accountable to obey everything in the law, but he obeyed it as a human being. We, as humans, owe God perfect obedience of the law. Jesus, as a human, obeyed on our behalf all of the law. And then we are liable to the pains of the punishment of wrath in hell forever because we failed to keep the law. But Jesus redeemed us from being under the law by becoming cursed for us as a human being. Human beings as human beings owed God the penalty. Jesus as a human being paid the penalty. So we then are able this side of the cross, to enter into all of the benefits of the inheritance. Justification. We are declared right with God. Adoption that Paul talks about. He sent his spirit into our hearts that cries, Abba, Father. I read in the Hebrews in the call to worship, Hebrews 10, that only one person grew to the Holy of Holies and that once a year. But we have the Holy of Holies open to us because Christ tore the curtain that separated the people of God in the Old Testament church from intimacy with God. And we have a spirit of inheritance that cries out, Abba, Father, do you see how great this inheritance is? And then Paul's saying, then why are you still living as kids? Why are you still living as if you're a minor? Why are you still living as if you're under guardians and managers and stewards and not in the liberty of the gospel with the fullness of the inheritance? That's why Paul is so perplexed. They're not living in the intimacy that God the Father means them to live in with him. Abba, that is such an intimate word. It's Aramaic when a child would say, Papa. Or what's the first or second word a young baby learns? Dada. My grandfather name. Get used to it. Baba. Okay, Baba's actually Chinese for father. But it's also Celtic 
for grandfather. And that's an endearing term that my children, my grandchildren cry out to me. I get to see her little kindergartner every single day before school starts. And every time she sees me, her face lights up. She says, Baba, and she runs to me. That is the liberty of living in the inheritance that is fully ours in Christ. Justification, adoption. You're no longer an orphan. Why do you live that way? Why do you live as if there's no Father in heaven who loves you? Why do you live if you have no inher- as if you have no inheritance? Now, with privilege and inheritance comes responsibility. Paul prays that Christ will be fully formed in us and that we would use our inheritance to serve a Father we love. You see, we're still called to a life of obedience, but it's from acceptance, not for acceptance. And the Galatians, and many of us, want to put ourselves back under performance, back under the law. And we think our experience of our inheritance is dependent upon us, when in fact it's dependent upon Christ and His finished work. Enjoy the liberty of your full inheritance. Secondly, enjoy the liberty of your full education. Uh, Paul uses educational, pedagogical terms in this passage. In verse 3, he says uh, that the Galatians were enslaved and the Jews are enslaved to elementary principles. He says the same thing in verse 9. How could you turn back to elementary principles? Well, what are the elementary principles of the world? They're the ABCs of religiosity. You do realize that that the entire world, apart from true believers, thinks that the way to God is to climb up through the ladder of your own efforts. You do realize that, right? That's religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God based on his or her own efforts, goodness, and righteousness. Paul calls those, that mindset, the elementary principles of the world. And Paul says in verse 3, the Old Testament church, under age, as minors, were under the ABCs of religion. Now, The ABCs aren't supposed to be an end in themselves, right? The ABCs are supposed to to lead to language and spelling and sentences and paragraphs and story. But what happened is the Old Testament church got stuck, just like we get stuck, just like the Galatians were getting stuck. And rather than the ABCs of the law that was to drive them to despair of their own righteousness so they'd see their need for Christ and look to the coming of Christ, they got stuck in the ABCs. And, and they started to make the ABCs an end of it in itself. And they missed Jesus. And how many of us do the same thing? Isaiah 28 verse 13 Isaiah talked about this practice of the Old Testament church. To these people, it's rule upon rule, precept upon precept. In other words, they turn to law, the law, to to ritualistic regulations instead of realizing the law was there to expose them and their need for Jesus so that they would be looking 
for Jesus. And Paul says the Galatians, before they were Christians, had the same rules. See, the Jews had the law, but make no mistake, the world has its own ABCs. You talk to anybody who's not a Christian, at some level, they're trusting in their own goodness. They're trusting in building their own ladder to God. They're trusting in their elementary principles. Now, what what does this elementary principle, we know it means the law, we know it means how the world tries to reach God on its own, but where does it come from? Well, do you have any idea what the largest ministry of this church is? It's actually our, our school. Westminster School of Oak Mountain, at Oak Mountain. It's our largest ministry, 594 students, all kinds of teachers, faculty, administrators. Uses our church more than any other ministry that we have. Now, our school, Westminster School at Oak Mountain, is what's called a classical Christian school. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know more about it than you think you do. Now, I'm going to show my age. Down the street here is Oak Mountain Elementary School. When I went to school, elementary schools weren't called elementary schools. They were called grammar schools because of classical education. Classical education recognizes three phases of learning. The grammar phase, which are the ABCs of every subject. Math, phonics, spelling. And then the junior high stage when kids love to argue. Have you noticed that, by the way? That's the logic stage where you try to help them become less emotion-driven and more focused on the rational and the logical, building upon the grammar of the building blocks. And then the last stage of the classical education is called the rhetoric stage. And that's when they put together the building blocks of the grammar and the philosophy and rationality of the logic, and they begin to put it all together to live in the world winsomely and attractively for Christ as they pursue beauty goodness, and truth. See, the point of a classical education, any education for that matter, is not the ABCs. The point of education is to equip you to be profitable citizens in the world. And the purpose of the law was not the law itself. It was to educate the soul of the need of Christ and then inform the soul of that which is good and beautiful and true, so that in Christ we would live lives that serve God to the glory of God. And Paul is saying when we put ourselves under performance, we are going back to the ABCs of grammar, and we're missing the whole point of an education. The ABCs make an education possible. But the point of an education is to live. Just like the child that was the heir that wants to be raised or is to be raised 
to enjoy and employ the inheritance, so the purpose of the education of the law and the gospel is to bring us to maturity in Christ. But, but Paul says in verse 9, how can you turn back? It's weak and worthless. In other words, the grammar of the law has absolutely no power. It's weak. It has no power to change you. A rigorous application of the will to the law of God will not change your heart. It cannot. And that's why so many in the church are powerless today. Because they're going through the motions of the ABCs by simply trying harder. Trying harder will never change you. Can I say that again? Trying harder will never change you. It cannot. There is no transformational power in human effort. It is understanding the ABCs of the law that drive us to despair of our own effort, that lead us to hope afresh in Christ. And that is what leads to living a life of being a productive citizen. And so Paul says in verse 10, you're, you're going to performance. You're observing days and months and seasons and years. Paul says the same thing to the Colossians. You're, you're following these elementary principles again. Human traditions, don't taste, don't touch. Don't handle. See, that's, that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is not what we're against. The point of the gospel is who we're for. Paul says, I'm so afraid that I've labored over you in vain. I'm so afraid you're going back into the womb. He, he's burdened in verse 19 that Christ be formed. It's interesting in verse 9, he says, whose slaves you want to be once more. Who wants to be a slave once they're free? Well, apparently we do. Do you hear me? This lives in you. It lives in me. Christians have a terrible tendency when they talk about being slaves to sin to think that all God's talking about is the dirty dozen, the filthy five, the nasty nine, the awful eight, the really bad stuff that bad people do. You need to realize that part of being a broken sinner is that you are every bit as religious as you are irreligious. And your religiosity is just as deadly to your spirituality as immorality. Immorality is deadly, don't get me wrong. But religiosity is just as deadly as irreligiosity. And so Paul says, enjoy the liberty of your full education. Don't get stuck in the elementary principles. Like, for instance, what are the basics of the Christian life? Read the Bible, pray, go to church, practice generosity, memorize Scripture. Well, listen, those are great things. But don't you think for a moment those are the basics of the Christian life? They're not. The basics of the Christian life is Jesus and Him crucified and hope and trust in Him continually. That's the basics. All the other things are simply practices that help us to get back to the main thing. And again, that's the whole purpose of education, to equip us 
to live life to the glory of God. Move on from your ABCs. And then thirdly, enjoy the liberty of your full fellowship. In verses uh, 17 through 20, Paul talks about the false teachers making much over the Galatians. And, and, and the NIV actually does a better job than the ESV on this. What Paul is writing about are the false teachers are zealous to win over the Galatians to their perspective. In other words, the false teachers are more interested in winning converts to them than in winning anybody to Jesus. They're more interested in forming a camp or a tribe or a clique than they are really caring where their Christ is formed in the Galatians' lives. It says in verse 17, not only do they make much of you or are they zealous for you for no good purpose, but they want to shut you out so you'll make much of them. In other words, they're actually wanting to create division between Paul and the Galatians. And they're actually wanting to shut out the Galatians from the liberty of the gospel. Jesus uses this exact same word, shut out, when he talks to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut people out from the kingdom of God and make them twice a son of hell as you are. You see, performance, legalism, what Paul talks about as nomism, as we've learned together, the, the, the Christian who tries to place themselves under the law, all that creates divisiveness. You want to find a divisive, judgmental church, look for a church that all they focus on are behaviors and performance. It's one split after another. Performance divides. Gospel unites. Now, let me tell you why tribalism and cliques exist in the church. It goes back to childishness again. This whole, this whole passage is about being children instead of being mature adults. You ever been out on a playground with elementary school students? I mean, the whole thing's just a bunch of cliques. Junior high students tend to be just as bad. Do you know why cliques form? Because people are insecure. You know why Christian tribalism occurs? Because Christians are insecure. See, if you're not secure in your righteousness in Christ, you are going to flail about for something else to put your confidence in so that you feel right. You see, instead of trusting that you're right with God through the work of Christ, you're insecure in that, so you're going to find something that makes you feel right. And many Christians in our day do that by forming tribes. Paul goes on to say, when I first brought the gospel to you, I did it because I was sick. There was something wrong with my eye. You would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. You received me as an angel, even as Christ himself. What has happened to all that blessedness you felt toward me? Well, I'll tell you what happened 
is the Galatians were insecure, and rather than continue believing the gospel that Paul preached, these false teachers created all kinds of behaviors and performance and views on issues that they had to have if they were going to be right with God. And the children fell for it. Have you ever noticed people for whom everything is a federal case? Every issue in the Christian life, they just want to make a big deal about everything. I would submit to you that if you've been described like that, you need to be open to the fact that you're incredibly insecure in the gospel. Because if you're secure in Christ, you don't have to be right. You are right in Christ with God. What's happened over the past several years with American Christianity? The tribalism, the camps, the cliques. I'm telling you folks, it's all due to people who are insecure in Christ. Masks, COVID, vaccinations, it just doesn't matter if you're secure in Christ. Someone's a never vaxxer, fine, let them be that. Someone's an only vaxxer, fine, let them be that. Why are you making a federal case out of it? Be secure in Christ and do what you think he's calling you to do, but don't you dare put that on somebody else. Politics, ever Trumpers, never Trumpers. Let them be who they want to be, who cares? The only thing that matters is Jesus. Stop being so insecure in the gospel and start boasting in Christ. And guess what's going to happen? Tribalism's going to disappear. And we're going to be one in Christ. And that's what God cares about. See, most people who are arguing about issues, they really don't care that Christ is formed in the other person. They just want to be right. And they want the other person to be wrong. That's not Paul. Paul says, I care about one thing. I care about Jesus Christ being formed in you. And I don't care about your view here or your view there. Matter of fact, Paul in Romans 14 says Christian A can have view A and be right. And Christian B can have view anti-A and be right. What are you going to do with that if everything's a federal case to you? Do you realize there's just some things, a lot of things, that God just gives us liberty over. But we're so insecure in the gospel that we want everybody to agree with us so we can be confident that we're right. Because you're so insecure that your righteousness comes from Christ. Now please hear me. I'm not saying there's any relativity with respect to right and wrong. Where God speaks clearly, He speaks clearly, and we will not compromise. But you tell me something in the past several years that's been black and white. I mean, come on. And Paul experienced the pain of tribalism. Yet if I'm going to be vulnerable, so have I. 
All I've tried to do is preach the truth. And we got people leave because I'm not conservative enough for them. And we got people leave because I'm not progressive enough for them. I don't care what you think about me. What I care about is Christ is formed in you. And Christ will not be formed in you if you keep on making a federal case about everything. Believe the gospel. Jesus is the newer and better escalator who by his power brings you the presence of God. Who, who brings you by his power into life transformation, into gospel unity, into the fullness of your inheritance that you can barely even begin to fathom in this life. Do you want to be children? Do you want to become slaves again? Or do you want Jesus? As for me, I want Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, forgive us for how we have lived as, as children underage. Forgive us for how we have formed tribes and camps because we're insecure. Forgive us for how we so often want to go back to slavery, to grammar, instead of really enjoying and living out our education in the gospel. And then, Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would be so drawn by the winsomeness of Jesus that they would find no more excuses for not putting their trust in Him. God, we pray that you use the gospel in this nation, in this world, uh, in this church, and use this church in this community and city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Be reminded of the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to employ it. He wants Christ to be formed in us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba, Father, and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.